This episode of The Sweaty Penguin is brought to you by Moo Moo Meadows. Do you want to play Mario Kart without falling off a rainbow in outer space? Try Moo Moo Meadows today! Welcome to episode 32 of The Sweaty Penguin, Antarctica's hottest podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Brown. Today, we are talking about artificial intelligence. The only thing that can order you toilet paper upon request, translate languages as long as you don't care about grammar, and beat Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter in Jeopardy. Although, to be fair, is it really that impressive that IBM's Watson beat Brad Rutter? I'm sure Brad's a smart guy, but all you have to do is make sure he gets hit with a daily double and he'll lose all his money faster than CMX Cinemas. Artificial intelligence, or AI, can do a lot of really cool stuff. And in the environmental world, AI is in the news most often for exciting stories like these. Still reeling from recent mass coral bleaching, the Great Barrier Reef faces another threat. An outbreak of coral-eating crown of thorns starfish. But RangerBot, an underwater autonomous drone, has been developed to hunt down and destroy the pest. Illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing pulls in an estimated 10 to 23 billion dollars worth of fish. But when tracking and satellite technologies are combined with the speed of gaming software and the power of artificial intelligence, a single analyst is able to monitor large swathes of ocean and pinpoint suspect activity. A San Francisco-based startup called Rainforest Connection is looking for donors to help turn recycled cell phones into traps for illegal loggers. The Kickstarter project would turn old smartphones into solar-powered listening stations that can detect the sound of chainsaws. Wait, so are they just assuming if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, then it does make a sound? That's a little presumptuous to just ignore the main metaphor of Dear Evan Hansen and the linchpin of modern philosophy like that. Innovations like these are really cool, and certainly worth being excited about. But like we've found in episodes like electrification, carbon neutrality, and organic and fair trade certifications, to name a few, even really exciting new prospects have the potential to cause problems. With artificial intelligence, there are plenty. Lots unrelated to the environment, which we won't cover today, but plenty of environmental ones too. So today, we'll break down some of the concerns with AI the environmental world might want to think about, and where we might go in the future to nudge AI in the direction of being an environmental good as opposed to being an environmental bad. But first, what exactly is AI? Well, there are a lot of answers out there, and it's really tricky to define precisely because before defining artificial intelligence, you must first define what intelligence is. Is an octopus intelligent? Is a calculator intelligent? Is former head coach of the Eagles Doug Peterson intelligent? These questions are really hard to answer. Except, of course, the last one. Because no, Doug Peterson is not intelligent. He was on the cusp of beating Washington with the hot hand of his rookie quarterback Jalen Hurts when he benches him to quote-unquote evaluate his longtime backup Nate Sudfeld and loses the game. Doug, you shouldn't be evaluating your backup of four years who came with you to the Super Bowl in 2018 when you obviously need to evaluate your new rookie star who's only played a few games and might be the future franchise quarterback. And if you actually wanted to tank that game for a better draft pick, you don't need to be slick about it. Just do what you did all season and play Carson Wentz. 
Since it's so tough to define intelligence in words, let's look at an example. Here is a robot we built in our lab, which is now dropped onto a field. In spite of a variation in lighting, landscape, and dimensions of the field, the AI robot must perform as expected. This ability to react appropriately to a new situation is called generalized learning. The robot is now at a crossroad, one that is paved and the other rocky. The robot must determine which path to take based on the circumstances. This portrays the robot's reasoning ability. After a short stroll, the robot now encounters a stream that it cannot swim across. Using the plank provided as an input, the robot is able to cross this stream. This is problem solving. These three capabilities make the robot artificially intelligent. In short, AI provides machines with the capability to adapt, reason, and provide solutions. Essentially, this is equating artificial intelligence to human intelligence, and calling something AI if it can perform skills usually attributed to the human brain, like thinking, learning, perceiving surroundings, adapting to surroundings, and problem-solving in pursuit of a certain goal. But despite what James Cameron might think, AI isn't just robots who look exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger taking over the world and going back in time to murder the mother of the human who resists them decades in the future. AI is in our smartphones, our cars, our video games, our social media feeds, and more. In many ways, AI is really helpful. AI allows us to ask Siri, Alexa, or Google Assistant a question and get an answer. AI can detect suspicious credit card activity. AI ensures your Facebook feed is full of ads for the camera you looked at on eBay for the next 60 years. And even in environmental research, AI has been transformational, not just with underwater drones and listening stations made of recycled cell phones, but in actually understanding how ecosystems work and how human actions would impact them, as University of Washington professor Pedro Domingos explains. The main problem that we have right now is that we don't understand how these systems work, right? Ecosystems are very complex. Everything interacts with everything. And we don't know what the impact is of what we do, but with more sensors and better machine learning to build models based on those sensors, we can actually understand how a whole ecosystem works, how you know, the things that we're you know, putting into the atmosphere change the climate, et cetera, et cetera. And then we can actually do the following thing, which is we can simulate an ecosystem on a computer and then we can, we can see what are the impacts of doing different things. Sometimes species that look very insignificant turn out to be very important because the whole ecosystem revolves around them. And sometimes species that are very, you know, that we're very fond of because maybe they're, you know, they're cuddly animals uh, that turn out to be less important. I'm sorry, did you just imply that ecosystems don't revolve around cuddly animals? Pedro, I know you know more about this than me, but I'd like to see you tell a single person that teacup pigs are not the backbone of every ecosystem on the planet. Say it. See what happens. For all of the good artificial intelligence does and is capable of doing, there are also a lot of valid concerns, and a lot are pretty well known. AI is quickly replacing jobs held by people, and the advent of driverless cars could put millions out of work, among other technologies. Deepfakes, where a person's face or body is digitally altered to look like someone else, have been used to spread false information. 
Some experts are debating whether or not AI could one day outsmart humans and what the consequences of that could be, which to be fair may be a bit science fiction, but if 2001 A Space Odyssey could predict video chatting, apparently anything is possible, except of course, watching the entirety of 2001 A Space Odyssey without getting a blinding headache and refusing to watch another Stanley Kubrick film for the rest of your life. But today, we'll just focus on a few of the environmental concerns, and let's start with carbon emissions. Like we've discussed in many previous episodes, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas which absorbs solar radiation and warms the planet. And according to UC Santa Barbara professor William Wang, AI emits a lot of carbon dioxide. If you look at the training one single neural model, right? So with tuning and experimental uh, experimentation, it's about 78,000 pounds, right? So it's already eight times of uh, one, you know, person's annual emission. And if you want to do some, you know, amazing things, let's say achieve the best result on this leaderboard, while well, you often have to do neural architecture search, and this can take up to 626 thousand pounds, right? So this is like 62, right, times of the uh, carbon emission uh, comparing to uh, one person per year. So definitely uh, crazy, and it is still uh, growing. It's true. Computer chips actually use a lot of electricity, and more computational power equates to more energy, which means more carbon emissions, which means more climate impact. In 2019, for example, a research company in San Francisco developed an AI arm that could actually solve a Rubik's Cube, which is cool until you find out that the robot required the equivalent of 10,000 years of simulated training to manipulate the cube. To whoever trained that robot, I'm sure you're perfectly friendly, but I'm sorry. If you knew 10,000 years worth of information about Rubik's Cubes, then you're a nerd and now so is your robot. But in addition to being the runt of the basketball team and doomed to a life of getting ghosted on Hinge, that robot consumed 2.8 gigawatt hours of electricity. That's approximately equal to the hourly power output of three nuclear power plants. And it's not just Rubik's Cube robots. Data published by OpenAI shows computing power required for key AI landmarks is growing exponentially, doubling every 3.4 months. Between 2012 to 2018, it grew by 300,000-fold, and in 2019, the U.S. Department of Energy reported that data centers account for 2% of American electricity use, and some predict that globally, computing and communications technology could consume 8 to 20% of electricity use by 2030. Of course, the fact that it's electricity helps, since that can certainly be clean energy, but even if it were 100% solar panels, wind turbines, and the electricity radiating off of Henry Cavill's chin dimple, the fact that the electricity demand is growing so rapidly still poses an issue, because more electricity requires more clean energy infrastructure to be built, which means the transition to mostly or entirely clean energy would take that much longer. AI doesn't just emit carbon, it actually finds more carbon to emit. The oil and gas industry has discovered a multitude of ways to use AI, both to find more spots to drill and improve efficiency, leading to lower costs and increased production. You can imagine how an AI could train itself with all kinds of data to pinpoint the best places to drill. 
And once drilling begins, AI can streamline extraction to make it cheaper. That kind of efficiency can help the oil and gas industry compete with renewables. And so it's no surprise they spent an estimated $1.75 billion on AI in 2018. Like Barney Stinson and How I Met Your Mother, AI is able to gather a really large amount of data and pinpoint all the best places to drill. AI can boost the profitability of current oil fields and explore the ocean floor in search of new fields. Since finding new sources of oil is almost as hard to do as booking Honey Boo Boo for the Toddlers and Tiaras reunion special, apparently, this technology is huge for the fossil fuel industry. And beyond that, AI can reduce labor costs, boost sales by guiding customers through web offerings, inspect pipelines, maintain production flows, optimize data storage, analyze drilling reports, and extend well life. According to the McKinsey Global Institute, deep learning techniques alone have the potential to generate as much as $200 billion per year for the oil and gas industry. $200 billion per year. That's almost as much money as an unlimited data plan for your cell phone. Environmentally, cheaper fossil fuel energy is obviously bad. Economically, it's not clear-cut. Of course, cheaper energy boosts oil and gas companies and could have the potential to reduce your energy bill. But there's cons, too. AI takes jobs for many of the workers in the industry. More oil and gas leads to worse climate change, which already brings the costs of natural disaster cleanup, migration, health impacts, etc., and would bring increasingly worse costs in the future. And as we've discussed before, the industry is simply not equipped for long-term strength. Sure, AI can find more oil, but there's still a limited amount of oil in the world for it to find. Plus, in episodes like Airplanes and Economic Recovery from Coronavirus, we've seen instances where the price volatility of oil causes economic issues, which would only be exacerbated if AI were to lead to more oil reliance. In fact, the oil industry thinks about the long term even less than Olivia Rodrigo when she was with Joshua Bassett. Olivia, I know you said in driver's license that he said forever and now you drive alone past his street, but I want to know why you wanted something forever when you're clearly a hundred times better than him. He's just sitting around all day making weird TikToks for Shark Boy and Lava Girl with Sabrina Carpenter while you're literally getting Instagram comments from the queen of breakups herself, Taylor Swift, recognizing you as the national treasure that you are. And it's not just the oil and gas industry exacerbating their environmental impact through AI. Retail, for example, has the potential to significantly worsen their footprint too, as this video on Microsoft AI unwittingly lays out. Meet Angeline. She's the chief marketing officer for a major supermarket. Using a dynamic price optimization model, she can run price simulations comparing what-if scenarios to predict how a promotion will impact her bottom line before it goes live. She can also use inventory models that provide proposals for which products to add, increase, or remove depending on their margins. Like Angeline, you'll increase sales and profitability through effective pricing and stocking choices made possible with the best-in-class trade and promotion management solution. Microsoft AI Okay, Microsoft, I know you're having trouble keeping up with the other big tech companies, but I didn't think you were desperate enough to actually stick a fake applause noise into your videos. I'd understand if it were AOL or Yahoo, but not Microsoft. Maybe in a decade. 
Cutting costs and tailoring inventory to consumer preferences sounds great, right? That's because it kind of is. I'm not going to pretend stuff I want being cheaper and more accessible is bad. The issue here isn't so much that AI is directly causing a problem, but that the environmental and social costs of manufacturing and distributing these products, costs like carbon emissions, water pollution, land use, etc., are not factored into the price in most cases. For example, it might cost $2 to clean up the river that was polluted with your dye while making your shirt, but the shirt probably doesn't cost $2 extra because of it. That's maybe lucky for you, the retailer, and your Twitter followers to whom you're live-tweeting your shopping spree, but you know who it's not lucky for? Cuddly animals. And being on the bad side of cuddly animals is about the worst possible scenario you could ask for. It's emotionally draining enough when I go to pet a dog and it growls and walks away. Economists would refer to situations like this as a market failure, where the free market fails to account for a cost as it determines the price of a good. That's a whole separate thing, and we've explored examples before like beef and fast fashion, but what AI then does is it makes the products more profitable, which means more of them are being created, which means there are larger environmental impacts taking place which are not being accounted for in the market price. In other words, the market failure becomes bigger. So AI making stuff cheaper is exciting, but the fact that it exacerbates these already existing market failures that ignore environmental destruction is cause for concern. All of that just scratches the surface of some of the issues AI poses for the environment. And I know it's frustrating, because if you're interested in innovation like I am, a lot of this stuff sounds so cool. But none of this is to say artificial intelligence is inherently bad or anything, because it isn't. It's complicated. And given both AI's growing popularity and the fact that it does do some really cool and useful stuff, it's absolutely worth taking the concerns about it seriously and finding ways to lessen them. So where do we go from here? Starting with AI's direct carbon emissions, the first step is measuring them. In last month's issue of Communications of the Association for Computing Machinery, an article called Green AI proposed a step in that direction. Green AI is just the process of appropriately describing our budget, providing small budget evaluations, which gives a hook for other researchers to compare against in the future, and also hopefully driving down the cost of AI research going forward so that more people can participate and the cost to everyone is lower. That was Jesse Dodge a postdoc at Carnegie Mellon University who contributed to Green AI, and he raises a really good point. Making AI less energy intensive also makes it cheaper and thus more accessible. That's a great goal, given that people in tech seem to be obsessed with crowdsourcing and open source software, and basically any other form of collaboration with strangers, because I guess building arms that solve Rubik's Cubes all day makes it hard to find friends in person because it's time-consuming. No other reason. By calculating the carbon emissions from running a certain program, one could then purchase carbon offsets to zero out those emissions, which some people are actually starting to do, including many big tech companies. Of course, this isn't a perfect solution. As the carbon neutrality episode covered, carbon offsets are notoriously unreliable, they don't actually address the root cause of the problem, and they sometimes create problems of their own, 
but finding trustworthy carbon offsets is certainly one option. Another option, which larger companies are also taking advantage of, is just switching to clean energy. That, again, would need to be coupled with the energy efficiency improvements discussed before to have the most positive impact possible, at least until there's more clean energy than there are napkins in a takeout bag. Seriously, unless they're expecting me to dump my food on the couch and roll around in it like a puppy in the snow, I don't know why I would need 400 napkins. Beyond energy use by AI, when we think about the more indirect impacts, it's really tricky to pinpoint solutions, because some of the issues are predictions of the future, and some are observable today but are likely to worsen, but all of them carry a large degree of uncertainty, since we don't exactly know what issues will arise at each stage of AI development. As founding director of Cullen International Philippe Dufresne describes, this makes regulating AI an extremely tall task. One of the challenges always of regulating new technologies is that the regulator, the legislator, does not anticipate yeah, yeah. what the technology will change in our way of lives, in, in the way companies and, and consumers... And things are moving so fast, so fast. that's almost impossible, yeah. Exactly. So, as a, as a regulator, you're always torn between uh, regulating too much and then preventing the nice things from happening, or regulating too little and you have a disaster and you, 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 you basically accuse of not having stopped. He's right. Regulating artificial intelligence is a tough balance between preventing disasters and being the bad guy, like speed limits or parenting. And there's certainly work being done in various aspects of AI, with local, state, and federal governments having discussions and even work at the UN level. Ultimately, since AI also carries national security implications, countries also must take into account that slowing their progress could put them behind their adversaries, which makes any sort of regulation all the more challenging. Ultimately, the biggest takeaway here is that AI has pros and AI has cons. It can help the environment, and it can harm the environment. And by understanding the risks, we can keep our eyes peeled for them in the years to come and mitigate them as much as possible so AI can have the greatest net benefit possible. Because if we do, we can much more enthusiastically tout AI for modeling ecosystems, ratting out illegal loggers, and seizing starfish. And best of all, Hollywood can finally stop portraying AI as killer robots and start portraying AI as cuddly animals. Have you ever played Mario Kart and thought, oh, I wish this course produced more methane? If so, Moo Moo Meadows is for you. While Wario's goldmine can produce mercury and Bowser's castle is basically a giant volcano, Moo Moo Meadows is full of methane-farting cows to make sure your atmosphere absorbs as much solar radiation in three laps as possible. Cool! Moo Moo Meadows, cause a cow definitely wouldn't get knocked off its hooves if you drove a car full speed into it. Welcome back to The Sweaty Penguin. With me today is Dr. Peter Deverne, a professor of international relations at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Deverne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. So you just came out with a new book, AI in the Wild, Sustainability in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and what some of the key takeaways were? 
Uh, well, the book is looking at the uh, broad consequences of artificial intelligence for global sustainability. And the uh, central theme of the book is to look at both uh, the prospects that uh, artificial intelligence brings for sustainability, some of the new technologies that we're seeing that are helping us to tackle big issues like illegal logging and, and um, the loss of the coral reefs and, and illegal fishing. And, and so it, it, it explores some of those very significant advances we're seeing in some of the technologies of sustainability. At the same time, it's looking at both sides of the coin. It also looks at the, the risks and dangers uh, of artificial intelligence for sustainability and looks at the different ways that artificial intelligence can actually increase some of the pressures we're seeing on the global environment, everything from uh, potentially um, increasing uh, unsustainable mining, uh, oil production, uh, but also unsustainable consumption and potentially a lot more e-waste. So it's trying to look at, at, at both uh, the, the good and the bad of artificial intelligence. And the big takeaway message of the book is this technology is one that environmentalists should uh, have some excitement for, but we also need to approach it with caution. And so the big message is caution, caution, caution. And I'd heard a lot about the environmental benefits of AI before, but I hadn't really heard of these drawbacks before reading some of your work. And obviously there are pros and cons. It's not completely clear cut, but why do you think the environmental benefits have been so much more commonly discussed than the drawbacks? Do you feel like your opinion is unpopular or just that it <laughs> might not be as newsworthy or fun to talk about? Well, I, th I think that's actually a really important question. So one of the things we're, we're seeing with artificial intelligence is uh, what I see as a political economy of hype and exaggeration. And if you think about any new technology and the way technology kind of enters into the world economy, that's kind of natural. You, you, you have startups that are trying to impress other companies to maybe invest in them, to uh, buy up their company. Uh, you also have a big tech that's trying to convince uh, shareholders and investors that um, they're at the cutting edge of technology. And so there's a big media engine that is basically um, hyping uh, technology. And so we see that with, with artificial intelligence and we see that in, in particular with sustainability. So a lot of companies wanna look like they're at the uh, forefront of being responsible and sustainable and they're trying to save the planet. And so they're often now talking about AI in those terms as kind of a technology that can take us uh, really fast and dramatically towards sustainability, what some people call uh, the digital sustainability revolution. And so one of the big themes in my book is by taking a political economy angle and, and being a little more critical is trying to expose some of that hype, try and get people to be a little more realistic about what it can do, uh, but also um, zoom in a little bit more on the risks and the dangers of this technology, risks such as bias and, and, and racial bias in particular, risks such as um, low transparency for some of the machine learning artificial intelligence and the, this so-called deep learning revolution. And so that creates a big governance challenge for the world right now. And so one of the big uh, messages of the book is you know, artificial intelligence needs to be governed, but it's very, very difficult to govern machine learning in particular. And we're going to dive more into all of this. Let's uh, start with some I figured of the, <laughs> uh, let's start with some of the concerns that you rose. So one of them that you've discussed is how artificial intelligence will lead to consumption going up because you've suggested that the benefits that a company might get by saving on energy costs or what have you will get reinvested and used to create more of whatever they're creating. So how ideally are we supposed to react to these increases in 
production efficiency? Is it that AI is the problem or is it that the prices of the goods are not reflecting social and environmental costs and AI is making that more urgent by spurring more overconsumption? Well, I think the, the bigger problem here is that we get uh, what a lot of people call a rebound effect um, from a lot of efficiency gains, whether it's from artificial intelligence or from just better management practices that lead to efficiency uh, improvements. And so um, one of the historical facts is that a lot of times we are hoping or uh, presuming that if we can just get uh, more efficiency into our production system. Let's say it's more efficient engines uh, that burn coal um, with less emissions and, 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 and more efficiency that will solve these environmental problems. But historically, what we see is, is almost always companies take the uh, savings from uh, those efficiencies and they reinvest them into uh, becoming bigger, uh, building more stores or, or expanding uh, extraction operations. And they do that in part because of the capitalist system itself uh, wants to see growth and it wants to see companies grow. This is what gives investors confidence. It, it's, it's what gives um, uh, um, you know, a market the sense that a company is, is, is thriving and that gives value to the company. So, so you have this kind of uh, continual recycling. And so artificial intelligence is not in any way um, you know, worse uh, in terms of, of, of the technology. It simply needs to be recognized that uh, just simply trumpeting artificial intelligence as, as this um, way of further improving efficiency is somehow going to solve our sustainability crisis. No, well, I would argue it won't. Uh, it'll do what all the other efficiency savings have done. It, it'll, it'll do some good for sure. It'll save money for um, uh, corporations. It'll allow us to produce more products uh, uh, using less resources likely, and even these days with these big supply chains, uh, using less energy to transport and move all these goods, that, that's all uh, valuable. But uh, almost for sure, it's going to just be more goods that are going to be produced and, and it's going to be more stuff that we have in the world. And AI is a contributor to that. So two of the themes of the book is, is one, AI is a very powerful technology for promoting consumerism, for micro-targeting consumers with advertising. So it kind of ramps up uh, consumption. And, uh, and AI is, is, is producing huge numbers of, of new products, smart products, right? Smart refrigerators and smart um, homes and, and of course, autonomous automobiles. And, and we have just every imaginable product. And we're saying, again, this is a sustainability solution, but we have to keep in mind that we're gonna have to replace all of these uh, old, not smart products, right? The not smart cars and the not smart um, uh, ovens and the not smart thermometers. And uh, there's gonna be potentially a massive increase in just uh, replacement and then significant e-waste and already the world's struggling managing e-waste. And so you can see basically artificial intelligence becomes kind of an accelerator of many things that we need to be worried about. Another concern you've written about is how AI has allowed governments to identify environmental activists and silence them or even arrest them. I know this has been going on with protesters on many issues, but specifically for the environment, have we already seen evidence of countries doing this or is this more of a future concern? 
This particular concern for me is is a, a deep worry. First of all, I, I, uh, it's it's certain forms of artificial intelligence that I'm concerned with here, particularly technologies like facial recognition and the use of this for mass surveillance and the tracking of activists and the ability to basically quickly identify uh, protesters and activists and and trace their movements. And uh, I particularly have worries in in authoritarian countries uh, countries. Um, like China, which is at the, the cutting edge of developing uh, applications of artificial intelligence. And they're particularly adept at uh, um, applications like facial recognition technology. And so I see this uh, potentially as, um, as automating surveillance for the world and, and for more radical environmentalist people that are trying to protest and push back about uh, the ways that states are governing the world, this presents a potentially uh, grave set of dangers. Now, the biggest kind of uprising against this technology has been human rights groups, civil liberties groups, um, and, uh, and civil rights groups. Uh, environmental groups have not been uh, reacting yet uh, in the same kind of way. They've been, as I said, kind of caught in thinking AI is, is, is going to do all this good, and it, and it will do good, and not really looked at these deep worries. And one of the reasons for that is we haven't seen this technology specifically targeting environmental groups yet. I'm predicting that uh, this will start to occur though, and probably is already occurring, but isn't getting the kind of attention um, uh, that we can document it yet. And when I was thinking about this, because I hadn't thought of this regarding environmental groups either, I felt like maybe part of why we haven't thought of it that way is this may be a little optimistic, but even authoritarian regimes seem to have signaled some semblance of environmental care to the world. Every country is in the UN Environment Assembly. Most countries entered the Paris Agreement with a couple exceptions. So what's the incentive to censor environmentalists to develop technology specifically to do that while signaling a willingness to work on the environment? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Ethan. I, I think that that you have a very good point there. That we, we're seeing a lot of countries that, in the past, um, haven't necessarily been at the center of what you might think of as global environmental governance, stepping up and, and taking on some leadership roles. In particular, China, which I mentioned before, has played a very important role in keeping the Paris Agreement uh, of 2015 moving forward. So you think, hmm, authoritarian states don't necessarily want to use these technologies to go after environmental activist groups. That's true to some extent because they want to keep this, this reputation going that they're trying to do good. But what I would argue is uh, that only goes so far that in, in uh, the vast majority of cases, what we'll see is authoritarian states supporting uh, a kind of environmental activist group, one that is more moderate, cooperative, uh, focused on technological solutions rather than structural changes to the governance system. So any group that says, you know, if we're going to have sustainability, we not only need to uh, uh, change the uh, amount of greenhouse gas emissions, we also need to change uh, the structure of the economy so there's greater equality and there's more um, uh, democratic input and there's more voices being represented in the debate about what we mean by sustainability. If that kind of more critical radical group gets going, then authoritarian states are going to see that as political and they're going to clamp down on that and, and shut it down using these um, AI powered technologies like facial recognition surveillance. But again, that's largely predictive on my part, Ethan, right? It, we, 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 we're just 
this technology is so new, it's moving so quickly. It's only been really becoming a, a core part of the mass surveillance structure in just the last couple of years. Should people be worried that AI could surpass human intelligence and wage war and take over the planet? Well, that is a very common question. And many fiction writers have asked whether AI will one day um, uh, reach human level intelligence and surpass the smartest human on the planet. And then of course, once it does that, why wouldn't it just program itself to become even smarter? And uh, then, you know, maybe make the decision that humans aren't really useful to, to uh, its emerging species. Personally, I'm not worried about that. Um, perhaps we're gonna get super intelligence or what you might just think about as one machine having the intelligence of a human being in, in 30 or, or 50 years. But what I think really is in front of us is something actually um, just as powerful, if, if not more powerful, which is um, a technology that is, is as I said, um, narrow, it's, it's specific applications of it, particularly the deep learning and modeling off of neural networks or artificial neural networks that kind of mimic a brain, kind of a simplified human brain, and, and, and learning that form of artificial intelligence that's learning from big data is what is really kind of giving artificial intelligence its extraordinary ability right now to, to work well. And so that, that form of artificial intelligence, it's certainly never gonna supplant humans, but it's going to, I would argue, it's gonna bring a tsunami of change over the next uh, 10 years and for the political world and also for sustainability. For all the dangers it poses, uh, AI has also done a lot of good for the environment, which we've mentioned. What have been some of the most promising or exciting innovations that you've seen? Well, artificial intelligence, to, to talk about the, the good news um, and why there's so much excitement in the sustainability community is, is uh, uh, particularly this, this machine learning through uh, big data is very valuable for uh, improving things like climate modeling, for helping us uh, predict uh, more uh, effectively the potential for droughts or, or, or forest fires and, and help us understand better ways to possibly manage our forests in places like California to have a better chance to not get the kind of raging forest fires that we had this year. And, and it's very good at uh, helping to map biodiversity for the world and, and, and for figuring out uh, biodiversity and, and, and very good for uh, environmental science and, and research. And so one of the, one of the kind of imp important things to, to keep in mind with artificial intelligence is whether it does good or bad depends on, on how humans decide to use it. So we're seeing lots of different environmental groups, for example, embracing it to help with their conservation efforts, even, even at the local uh, level. And so all of that's to be celebrated. And then there's lots of very um, nifty engineering feats that are being um, um, developed right now. So a couple examples I give in the book, uh, there is a semi-autonomous submersible that is swimming off the Great Barrier Reef of Australia that is uh, injecting bile salts into crown of thorns starfish and killing those starfish. And for, for you know, decades and decades, human divers have been uh, doing this to try and get rid of these starfish, which are, are eating the coral and destroying the coral. There's a nonprofit uh, group called uh, Rainforest Connection. Uh, that's another technology I really admire. And so uh, Rainforest Connection came up with uh, a brilliant idea, or Topher White, who, who founded it in particular, came up with a brilliant idea, which was to create a listening device uh, using AI to listen for the sounds of illegal logging 
uh, in these uh, forests to then uh, send uh, a, an autonomous alert to forest rangers so they could intervene and stop uh, some of this illegal logging. And, and very creatively, he, he built this device uh, using um, solar power and he made the core of it uh, from recycled cell phones and so not to create any new e-waste. And, and then uh, on top of that, uh, this, this device is also helping us understand the biodiversity uh, of these forests because it has such uh, extraordinary ability to identify uh, sounds. It's been able to pick up, for example, the movement of, of a jaguar in these, in these uh, forests. Uh, not because it can hear the jaguar, which is, is, is moving too silently uh, too quietly, I should say, I guess it's not fully silent, but too quietly to pick up. But it hears all the other sounds um, in the forest of, of, of the birds and animals that are reacting to the movement. And so now we're able to track and, and, and understand the movement of, of these jaguars. And so, uh, again, just, you know, a really innovative, creative um, technology that it would be hard to say isn't doing good. Uh, is it solving problems like illegal logging? No. Um, is the semi-autonomous submersible of the Great Barrier Reef um, gonna stop the loss of the Great Barrier Reef? No, uh, but is it doing some good? Yes. And then there's some um, of these technologies that I think have potential to really scale up and make maybe a really big difference. And so uh, one of the other examples I give in my book is, uh, is a laboratory at my own university, uh, University of British Columbia, a laboratory called Ada. And uh, the, my colleagues in engineering and computer science have set this lab up uh, to um, investigate and try and advance research in uh, solar energy. And what's extraordinary about this lab is it's working at 10 times the speed of uh, humans who would be working in the lab. But more creatively, it's, it's actually uh, proposing its own hypotheses uh, after uh, learning and learning from the, the data that it's being fed. And it's doing its own scientific experiments with the idea being that maybe it'll think up uh, new ways to improve solar energy that no human has ever thought up before. And that's kind of one of the marvels about deep learning that's very different from what you might call old fashioned artificial intelligence. And so my colleague call this a, a self-driving laboratory and their vision is one day to have self-driving labs all over the world doing environmental research, proposing hypotheses and basically hopefully winning uh, Nobel prizes left, right and center for the, for the research. So we'll see if that happens, but you can see the idea being, this is a very cool technology. This is doing lots of uh, innovative, ingenious things that we need to celebrate at the same time as go, oh, but it could create, you know, killer robots and it can create, uh, you know, uh, the, the ability of oil companies to survive climate activism because they become more efficient and they find new sources of oil that they can get out even cheaper. And so, you know, it's doing good and it's doing some, some bad too. Like I said at the beginning, caution, caution, caution. We can't over-celebrate it, but we shouldn't dismiss it. We talked about some of these regulatory hurdles and especially given how complex all of this is, how there's some pros and some cons. What would your advice be to policymakers to try to amplify these benefits and prevent these drawbacks and how do they navigate some of these challenges we've discussed? 
Yeah, excellent question. What, what do regulators need to do? Well, one, one of the, the, the big things that I think is, is, is very important is for regulators need to act. So one of the things we're seeing is this technology has moved so quickly over the last five years that we have very little regulation in place at all for any of these technologies. Um, or any of the applications of artificial intelligence technology. So, so we, we need regulators to step up and actually uh, try and get a little bit uh, in front of, of this technology. Uh, secondly, I think it's very important to disaggregate um, the applications of, of this technology. So uh, we're not gonna be able to get one regulation for artificial intelligence. We could get perhaps uh, ethical guidelines, um, you know, uh, guidelines of, of best practice. And we see some of the big companies doing this, but for governments, they're gonna need to go further than that. For example, using the technology to uh, try and find um, missing children and using facial recognition, for example, to uh, search uh, uh, for adult faces to identify a child and all they have left is a photograph of that child when the child was five years old. And they might spot that child somewhere on social media, for example, using facial recognition technology. And so you might want to allow something like that, but not allow um, the use, for example, in cameras for mass surveillance, watching the streets. And so you know who's going by um, at every moment uh, uh, all the time. And so you can see this is a big regulatory challenge for the world. Um, uh, but if we don't act, then we're going to basically just have a free-for-all and this technology is going to, uh, as I argue in the book, um, yes, continue to produce lots of good, but boy, it's going to bring lots and lots of dangers unless states step up and, and rein some of this in. Dr. DeVern, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Ethan, thank you very much for the invitation. It was a real pleasure and uh, yeah, I enjoyed answering your questions. Thank you for the opportunity. This wraps up episode 32 of The Sweaty Penguin. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're a fan of the show, please tell a friend about it or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so more people find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Today's episode was written by Ethan Brown, edited by Frank Hernandez, and produced by Ethan Brown, Shannon Damiano, Frank Hernandez, and Caroline Kale. Our ads were voiced by Lindsay Cronin, and our music was composed by Brett Saka. Special thanks to the Boston University Build Lab. For bonus content, follow us on Facebook at Sweaty Penguin News, Twitter at Sweat Penguin Pod, or Instagram at Sweaty Penguin Pod.